Hey, and welcome to the Scottsdale Podcast. We are currently in a series that is centered upon God's design for the family. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Scott's Hill, all of you folks who are here in person. Those of you who are watching us online, still inviting us into your living room. We're so grateful that you've invited us to be a part of your family today on this Memorial Day weekend. We do want to encourage you to come and visit us, be with us live so you can experience this faith family. We're looking forward to see you. Everybody here this morning, would you give a great Scott's Hill welcome to them? Just say hi, y'all. Ready out. Awesome. And those of you who are at our mask-only uh, uh, service at the Cross Point Center, we're glad that you're able to join us as well. Well, before we get started this morning, i got a couple of pieces of information I want to share with you. As you can see, every Sunday at 9.30, we are overflowing. We've even created an overflow space during this time. This is Memorial Day weekend, and we still got a packed house. A lot of people are out, and we're glad that you're here. But here's what we want to encourage you to do. We have our major delivery time for our children's ministry at 9.30 hours, so that makes sense for parents of those children in our children's ministry to be here. We have preschool and we have our children's ministry, but we also have a lot of folks in here that may be able to make a shift to the 11 o'clock service to help us there. We have room for about 100 people left in there, not a lot, but about 100 people left, and want to encourage you, if you have small children in preschool or you're here and you have no children, and, um, or you have teenagers or whatever, we're going to ask you to consider going to the 11 o'clock service. Some of you to help us balance out right now as we make the adjustments for the summer. All of those ministries are still high quality. And so we want to encourage you to help us so we can fill these seats with more new people, okay? So I want you to think about that as we make some announcements further about that. Also, VBS is a huge bridge event in our church and to our community. And we only have a space this year for 580 kids. We are only 70 away from that. So if you have grandchildren or you have children in this church and you haven't pre-registered, you're about to get left off the train. So we want to encourage you to go ahead and get online, register. There will be no registration the day of because so many people have registered. We got over 500 kids already signed up. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and sign up for that. Next week, we start a brand new series that we're entitling, Did God Really Say? And we're taking some of the cultural statements of our day and we're examining them in light of scripture and to determine, did God really say that? Did God really say he just wants you to be happy? Did God really say, live your truth? Did God really say, follow your heart? Did God really say he helps those who help themselves? So we're going to take a lot of cultural statements and we're going to compare it to what God's word really does say and see how we can have an opportunity to impact our culture with truth. On July 4th is a Sunday. We're going to have a great day of celebration. We're going to gather together and we're going to celebrate our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And as we celebrate together, we're going to have one service this hour and in the Cross Point Center. And we're going to have dinner on the grounds. We're going to have a family fun time. We're going to have an old-fashioned family cookout with all the family games and just a great time of celebration. We had hoped that we would have a huge firework display that night, but all of those guys are taken up and we were not able to get that, but we're going to settle 
settle in on that day. You'll hear more about that in the days ahead. But today I'm wrapping up this family series and I'm trying to get to the family series here. And we are here. And so we've begun this family series and we said that we needed a time to recalibrate. After last year and all the craziness of COVID, everything that's happening in our culture, everything we need to recalibrate in has been given to us in God's word. Now, here's the crazy thing about this, this series on family. This series we're doing on family is counterculture to where we live today. I mean, this is time-old truth. These are things that you would not have had to preach 30 years ago and convince anybody of it. But today we're living in this weird time where basic truth has been put aside, common sense is out of the window, and we need to go back to the objective, authoritative truth of God's Word. So we began this series in family, and we started in Genesis, and we looked, if you were to remember, we talked about the foundation of the family, how God created it, and, and, and what God's intention was for every single family. Then we looked at the roles of every member in the family that God has given each one of us a word. And then last week, what we did is we began looking at this issue of parenting. If you've missed any of these messages, go online. I don't have enough time to review this morning, but I want to encourage you to pay attention to it. Now, last week, we started talking about parenting. And I said that there were two points that we need to look at. And we looked at um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And in that passage, it's known as the great Shema. It's called the Shema because the word here in Hebrew means Shema. And in that passage, we learned that there are two key points that Moses is teaching the people about parenting and grandparenting. Now, it's interesting, in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, he's preparing them to go into the promised land. And he just reminded them of the Ten Commandments. And then in chapter 6, he tells us what we are to do with these things and how we are to be an influence in our children and grandchildren's lives. We began by a biblical definition of parenting. Now, I'm speaking from the position of being Christ-centered. I'm speaking to Christian parents and grandparents this morning. If you're not a believer, you can apply some of these principles to your life, and they may help your family, but they do nothing for your eternity. And the most important thing for you is a relationship with Jesus. So I just want to lay that out right now. So we're talking about Christian parenting. And here's what we, did, we came up with with a definition. Biblical parenting is the process where the main goal is making disciples of Christ as we prepare our children for eternity. It's not just about helping to develop a good emotionally stable kid. It's not just about building a, a kid that has great academics or who is successful or is skillful. Those things are sub-goals. The number one goal for every single parent who names Christ is to seek to make disciples of your children and point them towards eternity. There's the long goal. It's not just getting them out of your house and a life on their own. It's preparing them to one day stand before their Savior who died for them. And grandparents, this is the same goal of grandparenting. It's the same goal. It doesn't change. When you have grandchildren, your goal as a grandparent is to either support the parent's goal or either to direct them in a way that uh, they don't get that at home 
but you can be the major discipler in your lives. We said this, the goal of parenting is to get our children to love Jesus more than they love us. That's the goal. It's a hard goal, but that's the goal. And we said if we're going to do that, God gives us two things. Number one, God's design for parenting begins with the right priorities. This is what we talked about last week. We must have the right priorities. And when we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, we discovered those right priorities. And God creates for the family what we call the family flowchart. And in God's family flowchart, here are the priorities. Intimacy with God the Father. It begins with your walk with Jesus. He constantly speaks of you, you, you. You shall have them. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall hide these things in your heart. Every single parent, it begins with your intimacy with Christ. Secondly, it's husband and wife. Husband and wives are on the same line because we are both created equal in the image of God. We, we, we both are equal as we stand before God. We have different functions, and so we complement one another in this covenant relationship. And the best thing you can do for parenting is to have an amazing marriage. That makes the world of difference. And then it's children. Children are not last on the, on the priority list. They're third on the priority list. They're not fourth after work. They're not fifth after leisure time. They're not sixth for any other thing. And listen, when we follow this flow chart, then we will always keep things in a proper perspective. But here's the second thing I want to look today. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. And here's we come, we come to the second part of parenting. God's design for parenting involves the right plan. Not only is there the priority, but there's a plan. And listen to me carefully, parents. If you put the plan before the priority, it will never work. It won't work. God gives us the priority first, and then he gives us the plan. Because when Christ is the center of our home, and husbands and wives have made it very clear that those little brats are not going to tear them apart, then the natural thing that flows is the plan. And God gives us the plan, beginning in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What? The scriptures, the principles of God's word. You shall teach them to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I want to share with you four very important things in parenting today. Now, you can read books on this. There are volumes written on this. But I'm just going to give you four because some of them are explicitly flowing from this passage. Some of them are implied in this passage. But these four things are absolutely key for biblical parenting. And they're absolutely key for biblical grandparenting and for being a good aunt or a good uncle or a good friend. You see, these things go across the board and they apply to every single person in this room. And to those of you who are children and those of you who are single, these are opportunities for you to hear what God has for you. And we'll talk about that at the end. So what are the four things? 
You ready? We're going to get started at one that is implied. Number one, acknowledge your child's depravity. That's right. Acknowledge the fact that your children and your grandchildren are sinners. That they are, every one of them is a potential batch of barbarians entering into the new world. And we need to understand this is true. We're living in a culture today where nobody wants to talk about that anymore. But we understand that our children are by nature and by choice sinners. They sin because they're sinners. And every single person in this room falls into that category. We know that to be true by both Scripture and by our experience. Let me show you what Scripture says about that. Solomon says folly is bound up in the heart of a child. We know that's true of every child. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah tells us that. Then David says the wicked are estranged from the womb and they go astray from birth speaking lies. Listen, your child may be cute. Your child may be precious. Your child may be adorable. But your child is a sinner. And why is that so important to know? Because there are two tendencies that we can have when it comes to raising our children. One can be that we make excuses for their sinful behavior. We want to excuse it as something else. Here's the danger. When you make excuses for your children or your grandchildren's sinful behavior, you are turning them into victims of society. And then what happens? It's everybody else's fault. You know, 30 years ago, everybody knew that to be true. Matter of fact, a certain commission worked together 30 years in this particular city about children. Here's what they wrote. It'll blow your mind. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He's completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch. Deny him these and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist. This was written 30 years ago. You want to know who wrote it? The Minnesota Crime Commission. Have they forgotten about that or what? You know why? There's no sin anymore. And we want to excuse our children's behavior. There's, that's the worst thing you can do. My wife and I were at the beach one day with this, this other family, and they, they, our little girls were playing together. And as they were playing together, the lady said something to her daughter, and her little girl looked at her mommy, and she says, Mommy, shut up. And the lady said this. She said, Oh, she gets so cranky. She just needs a nap. And I'm thinking, No, she needs like a wrap. That's what she needs. And listen, if we don't acknowledge the sinfulness of our children, then we're going to create excuses for them their whole life. And they will never come to the place where they own their own faults. But it's the government's fault. It's that group's fault. It's those people's fault. 
and I never own it. Let me tell you the second reason we need to confront depravity. Not only do I move away from making excuses for my kids, but listen, if I really understood that my kids are depraved, it drives me to my knees for their salvation. It always drives me to pray. It drives me to see the seriousness of it. They may be cute as a button, but without Christ, they are going to spend an eternity separated from Christ in hell. And so the the passion of my life as my kids were coming up, I knew their depravity. I knew they were sinners. Now, I didn't wake up every morning and say, good morning, you little sinner. Because they could have said, good morning, you big, ugly sinner. I mean... Because there are no much sinners in my house. I don't know about your house. But there was the urgency to pray for our kids. To constantly lay out to them the gospel. To recognize their depravity. And apart from the grace of God, they're going to become children of wrath. Parents, I want to tell you, the best thing you can do is recognize, no matter how precious that little girl is, She's an enemy of God, and she's under the wrath of God without Christ. Begin. Recognize the depravity of your kids. If you don't do that, everything else that I share with you will be useless. But here's the second thing. Practice diligence in teaching them biblical truth. Now, it's one thing for you to acknowledge the fact that your kids are sinners. Now, I wasn't, I, wasn't dis, I wasn't depressed by that. I knew it was a reality. But I also had great confidence in God's word, his spirit, and what he would do in my kids. And here's what I did. Chris and I made a commitment that we would diligently teach our children the truth of God's word. And that's what he says. He says, you shall diligently teach them. That means intentionally. That means you make a choice every single day to pour into your children no matter what their ages are. In fact, we can break this whole passage down in a number of statements. Let me give them to you. Teach them consistently and convincingly. Every single day, school is in session with your kids. Every single day. And every day you have an opportunity to be consistent in biblical truth. Here's one of the greatest challenges for parents is, well, a lot of times we want to start strong, but we finish weak, don't we? But we got to stay consistent. No matter how strong-willed they are, no matter how rebellious they seem to be, be consistent in the truth and be convincing with the truth. You know what that means? Don't just tell them about Jesus. Show them Jesus. Show them Jesus in you. I heard somebody say, what? Yeah. Show them Jesus in you. In other words, you model what you're teaching them. Let me tell you, kids don't grow by things that are just taught. They grow by things that are caught. And when they see mom and dad and grandma and grandpa living what they're teaching, there is such incredible depth and security that comes with that. But not only that, teach them creatively. Take every opportunity to find creative ways to teach them the gospel, to teach them about the character of God, to teach them about Christ. You can do that every single day. You're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, and you say, God bless them. (laughs) Not, not, Not bless them out. And then, Mommy, why did you do that? Oh, That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. We're just to bless people and pray for them, and I pray their tires fall off today. No, you don't do that. You want want to teach them creatively. Songs, 
Play songs in your house. Buy little books. Use those books and read stories with them. Um, um, videos, Life Kids videos are incredible videos. Our own videos that we produce for our children's ministry. Every single day you have an opportunity to creatively teach them. I remember telling Leslie when she was little that God is the creator of all things. We're driving down the road, it's sunset, and she looks out the window and she says, look, Daddy, God is painting a picture in the sky. Just everything, every single day. Find normal opportunities to creatively tell them about Jesus. How about this one? Conversationally. This is their whole life. One of the things that happens is teenagers shut down talking to their parents. You want to know why? There hasn't been a proper culture built early on that they can come to mom and dad about anything and everything. Now, when they get to be teenagers, they're not going to tell you everything because you're not as smart as they are. You're not. When they turn 21, you're a genius. So, uh, but what happens is you teach them conversationally. Always have a conversation. Always talk. Listen, it's not lecturing your children. You need to get saved. You need to give your life to Christ. You're a little sinner. You're going to No, you know what it is? It's conversation. All day long. How was your day? You know what I noticed God doing today in my own heart? Let me tell you. And you open that up. And in that conversation, you're constantly teaching them truth. Here's the last, conspicuously. You know what that means? Put it out front. They warm on their hands, on their foreheads. Have the word of God out front. Maybe have them memorize verses, put plaques on the walls, maybe tattoo it on your forehead. I don't know. Just what you do, it is conspicuously out front. And the last one is really important, corporately. This was a faith community when you talk about the people of Israel. It wasn't just parents who raised their kids. It was a community. And you know what we do? We're a faith community. You're not in this alone, parents. Grandparents, you're not in this alone. We're a faith community. We want to walk with you. We want to help you. We want to speak into your kids because some of the things we do, we're going to be in reinforcing what you're doing at home. But I'm going to tell you, parents, if you're not doing these things with your kids, everything we do is new to them and not reinforced at home. And what we're doing is we're coming alongside of you. Our children's ministry, our student ministry, our college ministry are here to help you. And as they corporately, and let me tell you something, don't send your kids to church. Bring them to church with you. And so we do that corporately. So here's what happens. We are telling them about their depravity. We understand that. We are going to be diligent in teaching them the truth of God's word. Now let's get to a fun one. Practice discipline to prepare them for life. Practice discipline to prepare them for life. Now here's what's interesting. Many people, when you say discipline, they think punishment. And that's not right. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is meant for the past. Discipline is always for the future. Punishment can be punitive and then it ends. Discipline is corrective, so it continues. There's the difference between discipline and punishment. Where punishment has no specific goal and direction, discipline has a goal and direction. But discipline also brings with it consequences. 
And when there's no consequences, then what happens is individuals don't feel the seriousness of the reason to be uh, uh, disciplined. Now, I want to tell you, when you discipline your kids, it is always for the future. When you discipline your grandkids, it's for the future. And you want to do it for that. I love there are two reasons we need to discipline. Number one, Solomon says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Children that are undisciplined, that are let to go on their own, ultimately bring shame to their moms and to their dads and even to their communities. All I have to do is think about last summer and all going in this year. I'm not talking about the protest, the peaceful protest. We have a right to do that. I'm talking about the rioting, the looting, the destruction of property, the, the position towards authorities. And when you look at what happened, you see the shame that it brings. You can just look at the people who are involved in all the riots and the burning. You have to wonder, is that mother shamed if she knew those were her children on the street? Now, there's shame either way. There's either going to be shame because she's embarrassed because my child did not grow up in a home learning that. Or she'll be shamed because she never disciplined her child. And as a result of that, it's come back on her. And so when we discipline our children, it protects us from this issue of shame. Now, let me tell you what's happening in our own culture. You see an all-time low when it comes to disciplining our kids. We're living in a culture now where everything's identity something. Everybody's connected with some identity. And there's no identity to the family anymore. There's no identity to the truth of God's word. And so as a result, when you do not discipline, they grow up disrespectful. They grow up entitled. They grow up unwise. This is nothing new. One man wrote about this many years ago. He said, our youth love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for their elders. Youth are now tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when the elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, gobble up food, and tyrannize their teachers. You know who wrote that? Socrates, 400 years ago, 400 BC. He wrote that. See, it's no different because what happens is discipline is necessary to prepare our children and grandchildren for a healthy future. Here's the other reason we need to discipline. Proverbs says this, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. No discipline brings shame. Discipline brings delight. Not only to them, but also to those who are providing the discipline. Now, it never feels like that when it's going on. So what, when I say discipline, am I talking about? What are we talking about? Here's what we're really talking about. We're talking about establishing boundaries for your children. Establishing boundaries for your grandchildren. A boundary is very, very important. A boundary provides protection for your kids. And anytime they go beyond that boundary, there's a consequence that must follow it. It must always happen. Now, why a boundary is important? Because kids are going to push on a boundary. You set a boundary up, don't you go in the street. The first thing they're going to want to do is what? Go in the street. Why? There's a boundary there, and they're going to push on that boundary. And if that boundary moves, 
and it keeps moving, they're going deeper and deeper into areas of potential destruction. But when they get to that boundary and they push and it doesn't move and they push and it doesn't move and they push and they might push for years, it comes finally to some sense in their head, that thing ain't moving. And so they get the picture of it. Boundaries are very important. And let me just say this, there's some parents, and this is disastrous, there's some parents who say, oh, I don't want to be the disciplinarian, I don't want to be the authoritarian of my kids, I want to be their friend. They don't need a friend at that age. What they need is a parent who will love them enough to protect them by putting the boundaries in place. And when those boundaries are violated, there's a consequence that follows. Now, both of those are important. Let me give you an illustration. When my daughter Leslie was a little girl, we went to a basketball game. It was Myrtle Grove um, Middle School. We had some men from our church playing basketball, and so we went, and she was, she was running all over the place. I don't know how old she was, maybe two, three, something like that, but she understood enough. And so what happened was I told her, you can stay on the bleachers here, you can get on the floor, but you see that blue line right there, Leslie? Do not cross that blue line. And then I have her repeat it. What did I tell you to do? I can play on the bleachers, but I can't cross the blue line. I said, that's exactly right. So I'm sitting over here talking to somebody, and Leslie is going up and down the bleachers, and she looks at me, and she takes a step down. <laughs> and she looks at me, and she gets on the floor. And she looks at me and puts her hands on her hip and goes, up to the blue line. She's toes right on it. Just like that, right over. The, I wanted to laugh. I'm thinking, isn't that so cute? Golly, she just disobeyed her dad. I got up. I said, Leslie, did you step across that blue line? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I took her to the bathroom, and we had some intensive time of fellowship. <laughs> she got a spanking. Now, I know some of you are, woo, we're reporting you. Too late. I'm way beyond the, the, the charge of that. She got a spanking. Then I hugged her. And I said, Leslie, what did I tell you? If I cross the blue line, I get a spanking. I said, yep. And now you're going to sit with me the rest of the night. And people might say, wasn't that a little, little harsh? Let me say this. The most heinous rebellion always starts with baby steps. It always does. And if we let the boundaries go, and we let them go, and we let them go, parents, you will have hell to pay later. And you're going to wonder, what went wrong? You're not punishing them. You're disciplining them for the future. Because I know the joy of obeying the Father. I know the joy of walking in truth. I know the consequences of believing the lies of the enemy. I know the destructive nature of sin. And I don't want that for my kids. What I'm looking to is the long goal. I'm looking to eternity. I'm looking to a relationship with Christ. And we cannot give up on the boundaries. We must do it. Chris and I had this, this, this definition about what we do. The pain of discipline must be greater than the pleasure of disobedience. 
You might want to take a picture of that. The pain of discipline must be greater than the pleasure of their disobedience. We had a thing called reality discipline. We tried not to raise our voice. We tried not to get in an argument with our kids. It was very simple. We would tell them what the command is. We would have them repeat it back to us and the consequence if they did it. When Ryan started driving, his curfew was nine o'clock. And it was very simple. Ryan, your curfew's nine o'clock. If you go past nine o'clock, and if it has been a mechanical problem or there has been an accident and you can't get back, you call me ahead of time. But if you come into this house past nine o'clock, here's the thing. You give me the keys and for the next week you find your own ride everywhere you need to go. Then have him repeat it back. One night he comes in at 9.10, 10 minutes late. Opens the door. I said, Ryan, did you have an accident? No, sir. Did you have a flat? No. You missed your curfew? Yes, sir. I said, give me your keys. But dad, give me your keys. Put them in there. I said, now it's up to you this week to find your own ride. It's not my responsibility. You do it. That's the only time he missed curfew. The only time. Now, he did make curfew one day, but to get home, he was driving 77 and a 55, and he got a ticket. (laughs) That was a whole new situation. But he made curfew. He was more scared of dad than that state trooper. (laughs) Ryan, I hope you're watching this. <laughs> you're my buddy. <laughs> Parents, I can't tell you. Enough. Grandparents, I'm going to talk to you real quick, okay? Listen carefully. I know we got a lot left to go here, but listen carefully. Grandparents, when your children lay out boundaries for their children, your grandchildren, and they're in your care, you follow their boundaries. I know that stinks because you want to spoil them. You want them to like you. You want them to come to your house because they get all the good stuff. And when you say spoil them, you mean you're going to violate all the boundaries, send them back to their kids so they can make and take care of the mess that you've created. Sounds fun. But listen, I'm going to tell you, you follow the boundaries set by the parents. I'll tell you two reasons I do it. Number one, I want to reinforce in my grandkids, the boundaries that their parents gave them. I want to reinforce those. Secondly, I want to see them again, so I'm going to follow the rule. (laughs) And when we do those things, listen carefully. We're working in conjunction with our kids and helping them to raise their children for Christ. Can I get an amen of those of you who have little children that you got to bring them to your grandparents' house? Can I get an amen from grandparents on that? Oh, that was weak. Because I'm a grandparent. I know, I want to give Hudson cookies and all that stuff, but I can't. And I will say this, grandparents, if you've got grandchildren who have no boundaries, and they come to your house, and they're running like a bunch of little wild foxes, jumping from couch to couch to couch, but you have boundaries, you enforce your boundaries. You enforce your boundaries. That might be the only time that they get to have any kind of discipline and order in their life. And you want to know something? They'll love coming to your house. Because boundaries make kids safe. They always do. Here's the last one. Learn to delight in your children. Learn to delight in your children. Now, I said learn. Because it takes work. Here's what... what David writes in Psalm, 
Behold, children are a heritance from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Or the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Notice what he says here. He says they're a blessing. They're a reward. They're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And we can delight in our children. Parents, the children you have been given to you by God, by his sovereign, omnipotent choice. He's given them to you. And children, the parents you have, have been given to you by God's sovereign, omnipotent choice. They've been given to you. And so learn to delight in your kids, parents, and we see them as a great reward. John Trent and Gary Smalley wrote a book called The Gift of the Blessing. And what they did in the book was they went and looked at the Old Testament blessings. And blessings were were huge in those days. And the Old Testament blessing included five key points. Parents, we spend a lot of time in our days cursing our children, but we're called to bless them. I want to give you five ways to bless your kids. I'm not going to have much time in them. I'm just going to throw them out there to you, okay? Five ways to bless your kids. Number one, meaningful touch. Dads, I'm talking to you. Meaningful touch. It is so important that we love our children by touching them. Do you know they did statistics on infants that were touched and not touched? The ones that were touched grew, developed far quicker than those who were not touched? Do you know dads, it's very important for you to touch your kids when they're in elementary school age? You know that you're touching and you're playing with them and handling of them prevents girls from being promiscuous and boys from potentially turning into homosexuals? Do you know that? Do you know that when you touch each other as adults, it can lower your blood pressure and add two years to your life? That's why some of you are not touching each other. (laughs) But the touch is so important. And when we touch each other, it means so much. I mean, I've spent time, hours wrestling with my kids, playing with my kids, hugging my kids. And when Leslie and I hugged, when, we, when she was a little girl, I would pick her up and I would hug her. And while she was, her arms were around me, her little fingers were doing this on my back. Just doing that on my back. The other day when I was in Atlanta, I grabbed Hus- Leslie and I hugged her and she was doing that on my back. 27-year-old. Touch is so important. And I'm going to tell you, men, the best thing you can do is wrestle with your kids. Ladies, as you nurture your children and touch them, it means so much that they're loved and you delight in it. Grandparents, the same thing. Don't see your grandchildren as just this other generation that, you, that are in your way. Pick them up. Hug them. Love on them, tickle them, chase them around with a chainsaw, a lawnmower, or something. I mean, <laughs> love them. Words of affirmation. Oh my goodness. Words. Solomon says, death and life are in the tongue. 1821, Proverbs 1821. Death and life are in the tongue. And we need to praise our kids. Some parents are like, no, I don't want to praise them. I don't want to give them the big head. What? You give words of affirmation. You find out what your kids' passions are, their desires are, and you speak life into those things. Now, you want to do it realistically. You got to know what their their heart and their love for things are. I remember one time Ryan came to me. He said, Dad, do you think I could play in the NBA? 
And I said, well, son, there's a possibility, but I got one thing to remind you of. He said, what's that? I said, here's your gene pool. <laughs> this is it. That's what you got to work with. But we want to encourage our kids. Listen, speak words that build them up. There's so many kids that have never heard that. And you know, I know a guy to this day, he's still trying to please his dad. And his dad's been dead for 20 years. Don't do that. Speak words of life. Here's the third thing. Expressing high value. What does that mean? Of all the kids that I could have had, I'm so glad God put you in my family. Of all the grandkids I could have had, I'm so glad God gave you to me. I just want you to know, you're created in the image of God. You're worthy of notable excellence in Christ. And the position that you are, when they come to faith in Christ... Nothing can compare. High value. How about this? Communicate potential. There is always potential communicated in that. And the potential means you lean into their strengths. You lean into their weaknesses. You lean into the way that they're wired. There's a scripture that we always use that's Proverbs uh, um, 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he's not going to depart, but return to it. Most people misunderstand that. That train up a child in the way he should go literally says this, in the way he is bent. In the way he is bent. It's talking about a tree. And you bring up a tree in a way it's bent. And when it's older, it won't depart. Find out how your child is bent. Find out what their temperaments are. Find out what all the different things about them. What is their love language? I know all the love languages of my kids and my grandkids. And it would be so good for everybody to know the love language. My wife's love language is service. She loves to serve. That's why she buys my clothes and tells me what to wear. She is serving me. My love language, words of affirmation. I can tell my wife all day long, you're so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not that she doesn't. She doesn't need that. Leslie's love language, words of affirmation. She needs to be praised. And to this day, you know what I do? I build her up with words and encouraging her. Ryan's love language is touch. We've always wrestled. Two years ago, we went to watch LSU beat Auburn Tigers in LSU. We're sitting in the stadium, and Ryan's got his arm around me. And I'm just thinking, man, this is so cool. And then a thought hit me. Oh, my. I hope everybody knows he's my son. <laughs> you know. But it was just that touch. That doesn't change. And you know what I do? When I see my son, Ryan, is a big hug. And we hug each other. We love each other. And by the way, parents, every single, single, single time I speak with my kids, I never get off the phone without saying, I love you. I love you. And they never get off the phone without saying, I love you. Here's the last one. Active commitment. Be active. Active in their lives. You want to be a good parent, a good grandparent? Go to their games, go to their recitals, go to their ballet recital, go to the things that are important to them. I know sometimes we can't go to all of them, but make every effort to be active. Why? Because you are preparing arrows in the hands of a warrior to go out 
against the enemy. Here's what he ends saying. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Every warrior knows the importance of an arrow. Parents, our children and our grandchildren are arrows. There are three things you have to do with an arrow if it's going to be effective. Number one, you got to prepare it. You got to prepare Ryan, Leslie. You sharpen them. You teach them. You model. And your whole life, you are preparing them. Second thing you do is you point them. You point them in the direction that they need to go. And as you point them, they understand from your instruction and God's word and his spirit within them, their direction. And then after you prepared them and pointed them, you propel them. You send them out. And they develop families of their own. Ryan and Katie live in Atlanta. He's such a godly young man. And those of you who know Ryan, he has a magnetic personality. He draws people because he's so genuine. He loves Jesus so much. And Katie, his wife, wow, what a compliment they are. And Leslie and Joe, serving in a church, Elevate City in Atlanta. And God is doing marvelous things through their ministry. And they've been prepared, they've been pointed, and we propelled them. What's the outflow of that? Joy. Generations to come where Pops and Nana get to do it again and do it better and shorter because we can send them back. <laughs> That's godly parenting. It's not hard. It's challenging. It's intentional. And here's my prayer for us today as we wrap up this family series. Every family is to be a picture of the Trinity working in your home. As children are coming to faith in Christ and we're propelling them out so that they do it again and again and again and again. For some of you kids today, you don't know what that's like because you're not in a Christian home. You're coming here to this church because somebody's brought you and you're saying, oh, 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 would I just have that? I just want to encourage you. You may not have that in your home, but God wants you to have that one day as a dad. And don't you let the dysfunctions of your current home, whether you're a boy or a girl, don't you let the dysfunctions of what's going on around you think that that's the trap that you're in for eternity. It's not. The chain can be broken today. And you can say, that's what I want. Part of my love for my family was what I didn't have. And so God can take those bad things and turn them around and use them for his good. Some of you parents feel like you've blown it and your kids have left the house and you're saying, I haven't done those things, but God is saying, I'm bringing you more. Here's your opportunity. 
to make an investment that you have no idea that will shape eternity. We can do this. And we can do this together as a faith family. As we walk according to these principles for the glory of God. I want to pray for our families. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, I know we've gone long today. and I pray, Father, that all that we've heard, those things that your Holy Spirit wants us to retain, we will keep. For those who are believers in this room, Father, I pray that you would encourage them today. For those with small children, Father, they're getting a good start and a good foundation. May they apply these even the dark and the difficult times that they would remember who they're raising. For those with teenagers, Father, I pray that, that they would understand it's not too late. We can start fresh right here. Father, for those who are grandparents, that you would encourage them. Father, for those parents who have done this and now they're reaping the joy and the benefit and their hearts filled with great joy and their eyes with tears because they see what you are doing in their own children. And it will go from generation to generation to generation. Father, we are yours. Our heart is yours. All to Jesus. We surrender for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If this message blessed you and you now have a desire to follow Jesus, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you like the message, feel free to share it on social media with your friends and family. God bless.